0: All right, welcome to another episode of the CSA podcast, and this is another in our security leader interview series. Uh, The goal of the series, uh, if you've tuned in before, is to really bring a human side to security leaders, security leaders of all types across the industry. What choices do they make? How do they end up where they're at? This is geared towards people who are trying to make early career choices, but as we've discovered, there's also nuggets for, for existing leaders to hear from other leaders about things that uh, they're thinking about and choices they're making and choices they're making today uh, that are very relevant to, to contemporary choices of other peers. So we hope this is valuable to uh, all audiences. And it is my uh, great pleasure to introduce uh, today's guest, Clint Bodungeon I won't even begin to list all the companies. Uh, We'll get to that. Clint has been very prolific in uh, being a founder. He is an entrepreneur. He's a game designer. He's a, a, a teacher. He's a researcher. He's a professor. He's a martial artist. He's a gamer. He's a game designer. He's a father. This guy has done it all, and he's been working in the industry for quite some time and is a source and a force of creativity. And uh, we need more like him. So welcome to the show, Clint. Thank you. Happy to be here. And thanks for that introduction. I think
1: that uh, a lot of that sounds a lot more exciting than it really is. I think you flourished it quite nicely.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did my homework and I know you, and those things are all technically true. Uh, you've done a lot. You, you have a lot of diversity in your in your uh, your story. So let's get to it. Let's get to your story. I always liken, uh, you know, that every superhero has a backstory. And And uh, in my uh, I'm biased, but in my book is, you know, cybersecurity uh, people are superheroes of a type. And so let's get into your backstory. You know, where does, where does Clint come from? You know, where where do you grow up or what's, what's the early uh, part of your, your journey?
1: Yeah. I, uh, I grew up in a small town outside of Houston, Texas called El Campo, Texas. Uh, When I was growing up, I think it was about 10,000 people. Um, And I, I literally, that's, that's where I spent my entire uh, childhood uh, come from a small farming family and that's it. I mean, it, very humble beginnings.
0: And so you get come from big family, small family. What's your what's your kind of that
1: component? Uh, you know, I I think I come from a small family. I have one brother. You know, my my parents were high school sweethearts, and it, it is a story you don't hear too often uh, nowadays. But you know, my extended family is somewhat large. Both uh, so my mom came from a large family with lots of siblings. So our family gatherings like Christmas and things like that were always really large um, but immediately my immediate family was, was pretty small. And you're you're still in Texas today. So yes. is that, are you you know is family in the proximity or or nearby or Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really the reason why I'm still here um, because of um, you know my kids, my my parents don't want to uh, be away from my you know, I've moved around a lot because of military and things like that, which we'll get into. But, um, but yeah, my, you know, just keeping the family together was important. My wife's parents are are here in Houston. They're in Katy or near Katy. Yeah, my parents are still in El Campo, and so we, we wanted to stay. I'm actually in Sugarland, which is a, a subdivision southwest of Houston, which uh, kind of somewhat puts
0: us in between her parents and my parents. Just keeping it all together. Yeah, oh, awesome. Makes makes total sense. Um, I've got some young kids as well, and we're not. Where our family lives, and I'm always envious of people that uh, have that that fabric, you know, in, in, you know, around them. It's kind of cool. Well, what kind of stuff? When does doing any kind of work, not not necessarily technology or security work, you know? Some people started early in life. I was going lawns. Did you have any kind of like starting to make money kind of motivation early? And what was the kind of stuff you pursued if you did? I didn't. I was like a lot of people growing up. I didn't
1: know what I wanted to do. I mean, sure. you, I mean, literally, my my first job was I think, um working with my my dad out in the field uh, during harvest uh, season. I was eleven years old driving a tractor. Um, you know, yeah. it's a good thing I'm not a minor because he'd probably get picked up by child services now. but um uh, but I mean, you know, I was driving a tractor by myself at eleven years old, working out in the uh, the field doing that. And then, you know, I think uh, my first, once I got my my driver's license, um, my first real job, I guess, was working as a, as a sacker in a grocery store. So, I mean, I think my beginnings and, and earning money was, was the same as a lot of people, except for being, you know, forced into child labor at 11 years old.
0: <laughs> the things that happened during that era. Yeah. Now you're probably right. I think my dad was, uh, also put me to work, uh, not on a farm, but I was out mowing lawns and planting gardens and weeding and all these things, things I didn't enjoy at the time, but, uh, I guess it's part of who I am today. I get that. Well, let's talk about exposure to technology. I think this is always interesting with each of you where this comes in. And it's typically pretty early. And I think for you, it was. It was uh, potentially in the form of of game. Yeah. Um, Well,
1: I mean, as far back as I can remember, uh, even before kindergarten, my family had an Atari. In fact, I remember... Uh, when, when I remember being in the store, I remember when we, I think when we got our Atari, unless it's a dream, but it's pretty far back, but we had an Atari 2600. And I remember that's where I, I loved I became interested in loved games at that point. I remember we had Raiders of the Lost Ark on Atari and it was my first adventure game. And, and so that's where I became interested in, in technology. And then somewhere in the early to mid eighties, we ended up getting a Tandy 1200 computer. And I know a lot of people started on like Commodore or trash 80 or TRS 80. And, um, we ended up getting that Tandy 1200 and, I became so infatuated with it. I mean, just messing with like ANSI SIS and, and changing the colors of the screen and everything like that. And at some point my mom bought me subscriptions to a, I forget what magazine it was where it had computer code. You could write in the computer code. It was written in either basic and then some of it were Pascal to where you could uh, write these and play these games, like these uh, travel across space, space pirate games and stuff like that. And I couldn't type very fast, so I made my mom type them in. She 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 worked on computers uh, as a secretary, and she could type really fast. So I made her type all those games in for me. And um, and then at that point, she said, "You know, you're interested in computers, and I think I'm gonna introduce you to a coworker. Um, like uh, Reeves Motal was the name the the guy that she introduced me to, who was a programmer and really got me interested in
0: programming. Well, I, you beat me to the next question. You didn't start out in security and you're not even there yet. You're doing programming. You're interested in technology. Security comes later. In fact, you you go in and get some more training and education in programming, don't you? Right. I didn't
1: actually get it. You know, and we can get into I was writing basic programs uh, before high school, reading those magazines and learning how to do that, and understand it. Um but I didn't really get into formal programming until I got into the Air Force, which I'll wait until you we get to that point in this description. But
0: yeah, um, I, mean, I think that's coming up next. I think what's the bridge from you graduate high school and um, I, I know you did you also went to you went to art school. You you see so you had a number of interests, you know, and then the military comes and after that you stay technologically, you know, that's your career path after that. What's that just that before we touch on the military chapter and what happens next? You clearly looked at a variety of ideas before
1: you went into the service. One of the things growing up, in addition to being technically inclined, um, I was also a pretty good artist. Um, I was always like one of the best um, artists, drawers, whatever, um, Mm. in my school. I was known in my school for being a good artist. Um, And I wanted to go into art. Um, I wanted to be some sort of commercial graphic designer, uh, that sort of thing. But what had ended up attracting my attention was I decided that uh, I wanted to go into theater special effects like uh, or movie special effects and at the time the only avenue for that was the Colorado Institute of Art and so and I, and I was I, I dropped I, I kind of lost interest in computers for a while and just went into and so I, I mean I two weeks after I graduated um, packed up and my my mom surprised me and said yeah we just we went ahead and uh, signed you up for Colorado Institute of Art, which I didn't think I was going to get it. We weren't, we, we didn't, we weren't a family that came from a, you know, extravagant means. Um, so I went there and at some point, like I, I, I kind of, I was like a, a lot of kids. I was like, well, it's either Island industrial lights and magic, which was Lucas films before it became Lucas films. Yeah. Like it's either that or bust. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of people here that are really good. It's really competitive. I don't think I'm going to make this, I, you know? And so, you know, at some point along the way, I don't know if it was being homesick or whatnot, I decided that wasn't the direction I wanted to go. And so I went, uh, I came home and transferred to the Art Institute of Houston to do more traditional commercial graphic design. At some point along the way, I decided, you know, this isn't what I want to do either. Um, and I, I had a conversation with my mom and I remember her asking me, well, and I, was like, I don't think this is for me, mom. I don't know what to do. And, and I was like, what do I do? You know, I don't know what to do with my life. She goes, well, I mean, you've always been good at computers. Have you thought about that? And then it was like, ding. And it was, it was that, it I was at that back. moment. <laughs> yeah. It was at that moment when I said, you know, that's true, but it wasn't a direct path. I didn't say, you know what? Okay. I'll go into computers. Instead. Yeah. I quit art within an hour driving, driving down the road with my friend, Larry within an hour. I said, you know, I think I'm going to quit the artist of Houston. I'm gonna join the air force. And literally went to a recruiter, signed up, and in an hour I joined the Air Force. So big surprise, parents, join the Air Force. And so that's that's how it happened yeah. from there. And my my first job in the Air Force wasn't even computers. So I'll I'll, I'll kind of pause and see where we go next. But that's how well, I went.
0: Yeah. From that's the chapter. To- yeah, that's the chapter to talk about. It. It's interesting. Uh, you and I served almost the exact same time frame. I was on active duty with one year difference, uh, the same year as you were. So thank you for your service. I uh, appreciate that you as well. well um why did you choose it and and what did you get into what happened uh, during those service years i was i knew
1: that i no longer wanted to do art um and th- and, th- and i think remember that right there when later on when we get to the end part of the show remember that when i said i no longer wanted to do art because it came back uh but anyway so the uh I know that I didn't want to do that. And, and I wasn't sure exactly how to get into computers or what I wanted to do. I mean, it would have, it, based off of everything so far, it would have been natural for me to say I'm going to be a programmer. But I really didn't know about that. And I remember being, um, another thing that we'll come back to is, um, I remember being in like KB toy stores or, or one of those toy stores where they had book, computer books as well. And I remember looking at a book is like computer game design in C++. And I looked at it and I was like, okay, this is complex. I don't know if I can do this. I didn't have a lot of confidence as a kid. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And so I didn't go into game programming or programming or anything like that. And I, I kind of passed it up. But I was like, you know, I've always been interested in, you know, I was in Boy Scouts and, and, and things. And I was like, I've always liked adventure. And I've always liked camping. I've liked doing things and stuff. And so I thought the Air Force would be fun. And I, I thought it would teach me where I wanted to go. And so that's, that's what the transition was. That's where I would have decided that I'm going to go into the air force because I don't know what I want to do. So the air force seems like the next good step for me.
0: Yeah. So this is circa 95, 99, and this is where security comes in. And this is where it permanently stays in your path from then on.
1: Right. Absolutely. So yeah, when I got in the air force, uh, I didn't originally go in for computers. Again, it it, it would have been a, it would have made total sense to say, I'm going to go in the air force. My well, mom said computers. I like computers. Let's look for a computer job. no. I was a misguided youth that thought, I'm going to go into intelligence operations because I thought intelligence operations meant adventure and intelligence gathering. And I thought it meant like true life type stuff, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and and, and Mission Impossible. Um, At least that's what the recruiters said. But instead, you know, so I went in as a one in nine intelligence operations and then learned very quickly that intelligence operations is. And that was before operations and target intel got combined. And I learned that intelligence operations was probably the most boring part of intelligence in the entire air force, because you're basically maintaining a library you may get an opportunity to brief air crews, but
0: that's target Intel. So you don't really get to do much, but sit in the library. So it wasn't, it wasn't at your James Bond moment. You were like, you weren't wearing a tuxedo and, uh, repelling down buildings, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: yeah, cool. that was a big surprise. I was really surprised. But
0: yeah,
1: so I ended up, cro- well, luckily, the intelligence field is one of those fields where they're like, well, if you don't want to be in this career field, we don't want you here because then you become a liability. Um, so there weren't a lot of options to cross train out of. Um, it's like, oh, I could have been an F-16 uh, crew chief. That would have been cool. Um, I could have been with the guy that cleans out the big fuel tanks. Didn't sound appealing, um, or transportation. So I went into transportation as a 2T2, an air transporter, which was cool because I ended up getting to do some cool things. We, uh, I was attached to the air combat command base. So really it was our, I mean, I got to go to Diego Garcia. I got to go to a lot of cool places. Um, got to do a lot of field training with 101st airborne because, uh, what we did, we, we. We were there to deploy to hot zones and hot bases and things like that, and so, um, so it was really cool. I mean, it was like FedEx with guns, but um, but you don't do that all the time, you know. It, it, so you have in the in the military, you have a lot of additional duties, right? Um, and so, I had a good aptitude for computers still, and every time there was a computer problem, I was able to fix it and they recognized that and they they said you know you're good at computers uh and, and well, by the way when and as you know when when I got in the military there there was not a computer on every desk yet no, no. what is a lan what you know what 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 are you know so computers were just hitting uh, the internet i think went public in 1993 and so this was about 1995 so the internet really was barely an inkling thing and you know you didn't have lands and so I said, "Well, we're rolling out this thing called networks and the internet," and they gave me an opportunity to work in the land office and 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 help the land guy and learn more about computers. And I became the computer system security officer, um, which is basically a fancy term for just saying that um, you get to go to meetings and learn about computer security. Yeah. Um, and Ta-da. so and that's really, there's yeah. The,
0: there's a fork in the road. and There's no going back. The genie's out of the bottle now.
1: <laughs> that's exactly it, and and that that is really when. Um, I got interested in, in computer security, and I have to. This part here was was really interesting. So I don't know if he wants me saying his name. I'll just call him Chuck. But my my immediate supervisor was a staff sergeant, and his and his name was Chuck, and we were both really interested in hacking. At that time, we didn't know anything about it. What anything meant, and all we knew was that you know, you could kick people off of AOL, you can boot people off of AOL. And, and we knew a a few people who knew how to make these punters, what they were called. And we were really interested in learning what hacking was all about. We found some documents on the internet, um, all about Telnet, whatever that thing was. And, you know, back then in the mid nineties, you didn't have books out like hacking exposed. You didn't have classes. (laughs) That, That was not a plug by the way, but thank you. Uh, you know, um, but well, the other reason I say that is because my first computer book that I picked up based on hacking was Hacking Exposed in the late 90s. But you didn't have all of this, uh, the the help and the support and the knowledge you do now. Um, back then, it was it was a, you had to find it yourself and you had to find people that were going to teach you. You had to learn it on yourself and learn it on your own. Um, and so um, that's what my supervisor and I did. That's what Chuck and I did. We spent a lot of time learning what this meant.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think right here is a critical juncture. We, we're, we, we have members of CSA who are um, service people uh, or recently left. So let's talk about your decision. You're, you gained this experience. We could talk an hour, and we can't on just your military, you know, the things you – have the formative stuff. You're touching early internet. You're touching early networks. That clearly is very formative. But you're you're somewhere along the line, you start thinking about getting out and what you're going to do. You, maybe you share what you did that you think was you know, worked, but also what you would have done differently at that time. Because there's people right now at that time for them. And they're like, okay, do I leave now? Do I get some certs? You know, and obviously now is not the same time frame as yeah. me, but there's still things that you'd say, yeah, you know, I would be thinking about doing this as my paving my way out. What are those things? What was your You know, what were the decisions you made? And what would you recommend someone do now if they're at that juncture?
1: So the the turning point was um, I started learning some programming and um, while I was in the air force. Right. And, and that got me interested to, to learn, to learn more. That's where I started learning to program. Um, there was a McGraw Hill company at the time called um, national radio Institute, which is a basically a distance learning, learning how to program.
0: And I started doing that because Are you choosing um, to do it on your own, uh, on your own or, or is, is your military unit supporting you getting the training? No,
1: this was all stuff I did um, on my own because I found yeah. an, an interest in it. But um however, um at the time the MCSE was was becoming a thing. Sure. And sure. that's when I and this is what was relevant to your top, your your question about certifications is that um at that time I decided that, and, and I was taking some classes at Louisiana Tech University and, and, and computers and trying to figure out which way I wanted to go. And I decided at that time that a formal bachelor's degree was not the path for me. A formal degree at that time was not for me. And that I heard that there were people that were hiring uh, people with MCSEs. And, and then I thought, you know, I would rather get some certifications and then learn the rest OJT or on-the-job training for those of you that aren't military or don't know the acronym, uh, but I wanted to go that route. And it wasn't because I wanted the quick fix. It's because I wanted, to me, certifications are a more direct educational route. In other words, you learn the knowledge you need to know without all the extra classes and the fluff and the distraction of the college social life and things like that. So to me, you could still learn what you need to learn it with certifications, but it's more applicable, more direct to your path. And so that's why I wanted to go and do that. So I started learning the MCSE path, started going down that path. And I did, and it was later in my career. um, And I, I hadn't finished by the time it was time to separate. But when I did separate, I was in that part of my MCSE certification to where I was starting to learn about things like I think Windows NT security books were out at that time, and so I started to read more about security. And I think what's really important at this point in my career, and where a lot of people might be, is that, and what I would do different would be spend the things that I did right. There's very little I'd change at this point in my in my career. you know, talk to people and absorb all the knowledge that anyone is willing to give you. A lot of people helped me along the way. There were a lot of people in the 3C career field, the comm career field that had these certifications and that knew about routers and networks and all this. And I remember being a Diego Garcia, um, I got to work with those, those three C's because of my computer aptitude and talk to those guys and the, and they, they loved and then guys and gals, but at this point, sorry, it was mostly guys um, in the, in the unit Um, but, um, there, there are people out there that love to share their knowledge. And if you just ask them and have conversations, buy them a beer, buy them a coffee or tea, um, and ask people, typically people like us like to talk about it and, you know, talk about technology. So that's what, that's what I would have done different. I would have, I would have done, found more places to learn, talk to more people, read more books, do more labs. You could always do more. And I think that I probably would have moved a little faster in my career um, had I done more of that as I could have before I had commitments in life, like girlfriend, wife, kids, whatever. Um, But I was pretty happy with my path of self-discovery. And and one of the biggest points of advice that I can give people is don't worry about trying to find exactly what it is you're going to do. Insecurity. You don't have to figure out what you're going to specialize in now because it's all going to come back around and you're you're eventually going to have opportunities to do multiple things. So the best advice is to do what interests you now, uh, because you're going to spend doing so. You're going to spend more time learning. You're going to be excited to learn. And even if that's not where you end up in your security career, you're going to
0: learn a lot doing that and you're you'll have opportunities to do the rest. Yeah, that's some yeah. great advice. I mean, there's a number of things you hit on there that I think are those nuggets we're looking for in these sessions. You know, yes, take advantage of training being offered by wherever you're working, in this, in your case, military, but pick some things on your own and pursue yeah. those and, and gain those. And don't worry, am I picking the right one? Now, I have heard from some guests that an understanding, a fundamental understanding of how networking works is a pretty good idea, no matter which direction you end up going. Would you right. share that with you?
1: Will you- Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a there's a... There's an underlying baseline of all computer network technology, right? I mean, I mean, and here's my advice. You know, if you want to understand how to secure operating systems, you need to learn more about that operating system, right? If you want to understand how to secure networks, you need to learn about networks and network technologies. And so yeah. securing something is an understanding of the underlying technology of what you're securing. That's a nugget right there. Say that again. In order to to secure something, to understand how to secure something, you have to understand the underlying technology of that which you're securing.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense.
1: So you get out, uh, you go right to, uh, I think, was it SecretNet? Yeah. So um, when I separated from the Air Force, um, I had planned on staying in Louisiana. I was at Barksdale Air Force Base. And I had planned on staying in Louisiana for a little while. Um, Didn't quite work out the way I wanted to. Um, Yes, there was a woman involved. Um, But so, um, you know, a buddy of mine, he was working with a company called Synchronet in Houston. And he said, man, you should come work for us. And and, and they were interested in, and by the way, so there were some stumbles along the way, I think I should mention too, you know. I, I wasn't quite ready. And this, oh, this is a big point. I forgot to mention. Let me back up one, one piece. When I separated out of the Air Force, before I went to Houston, um, I interviewed for a couple jobs and didn't make it. And I, I wasn't quite up to speed. You know, I was, I had a lot of knowledge in here, but I had no experience. So I I a lot of what you learn, you don't learn from books or from certifications or from classrooms. Sometimes you have to put those pathways together and make those connections with experience. And, and, and that's a big problem is that a lot of people uh, look for a lot of experience. And, and I think that there's a key point here. And it, what, what happened in my career was someone was willing to take a chance. So I interviewed for a, a, a job for a company. It was on a small ISP internet service provider in Louisiana. And I had a lot of book knowledge. But like, I, I I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. I went on this interview and in then the guy interviewing him, his name was Chris. And, you know, I knew I, I had some Linux knowledge and I had some different pieces, bits and pieces and things I'd learned. I, had, I hadn't gotten my MCSE yet. They interviewed me. They knew I had deficiencies, but, uh, you know, it was a combination of, you know, Leesville, Louisiana was a very small place and they had to take what they can get. But um, he told me, he says, you know, look, You, you have aptitude and you have passion for this. Mm -hmm. And so they gave me the job as a network engineer. He taught me a lot. In fact, there was two mentors there, uh, interestingly enough. So he was a network engineer and he taught me a lot. And that's where it was. I gained more experience or I gained more knowledge. I learned more in two weeks working there than I had in three years of self-learning. And I, 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 everything clicked. Now, it, it was good to have that foundation, right? I had to have that knowledge to get the interview, to pass the interview, and to understand what he was talking about. But it took him two weeks of OJT for me to make the connections. And I had tons of aha moments. At that time, one of our customers had got hacked, they caught the hacker. And instead of sending him to jail, uh, they hired him. <laughs> that happened a lot in
0: the 90s. That happened yeah, a lot crazy. in the 90s. Yeah, I was reading, you know, following all that with rapt attention. Right about then, I'm like, "Wow, Kevin Mitnick!" You know, I I remember him being Captain Crunch. You know, and the FBI was looking for him, and now look where he is today. Yeah, uh, there's there's some
1: stories there I won't get into about meeting <laughs> Kevin Mitnick in the 90s and everything. But uh, so the, the, this was late 90s, early 2000s at this point, and um, so they caught the hacker. I gave him a they gave him a job. He became my mentor um, because this guy was. He knew his stuff now, I mean, because he hacked their Unix systems and uh, this was before Linux. Um, I remember learning Linux uh, Slackware in, in, in Red Hat version one in the Air Force. So after they hired him, um, they they put me on the path. They wanted me to become the, the Microsoft security guy um, and the MCSE stuff. And he was going to become the Unix security guy. So basically, he and I became the cybersecurity before cybersecurity was even a word. Uh, we were the InfoSec team for this, this company, and he mentored me. And it was interesting because this guy was in the hacking uh, circles. This guy was, he was part of ViRai. You can can Google that. He's part of ViRai back in the 90s. He was part of Cult of the Dead Cow. um, And he mentored me in a lot of hacking techniques and in in a lot of things that I shouldn't talk about. That really, you take this combination of this guy giving me a chance. Chris from the ISP giving me a chance on my passion and aptitude. And then learning from a real hacker, which it's easier to find in real hackers nowadays, DEF CON, things like that, willing to teach you. And that that was probably the most influential year of my life of people teaching me and being willing to give me a chance. That That is what happened to really solidify my security career. That's where I want to go. Then I went to Synchronet. Uh, that solidified it in my mind, and my heart. Then when I went to Houston or came back to Houston with my buddy at Synchronet, that's whenever, so Gordon, uh, the founder of Synchronet, owner of Synchronet, he basically gave me an opportunity to say, we want to make cybersecurity a part of our company. It was a very small network services company, and he put me in charge of security operations and we started offering a cybersecurity uh, practice. And so that is where, so the first part in Louisiana, that's where security became ingrained in my heart and my passion. And then at Synchronet, he gave me the opportunity to make it part of my career, and that's where it was solidified.
0: That's awesome. There's a few themes there to just to 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 make sure we are we're um, accenting mentorship. You mentioned receiving, you know, mentorship, and I think that's a theme that comes up almost every, if not every, guest on the show has talked about that. Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, it's it's totally necessary. Okay, so there are a couple of really important themes there that you. Uh, that you touched on and mentorship, and I'm a big believer in that. You, you could say people early in their career should seek out mentorship. The truth is, I still seek it out from people that are doing things that I want to learn, and I try to give it back to people who have something that I can give them. You know, and so you early on were a recipient of that. I, I'm just curious. Uh, we, you know, we we've got so many threads here we could pull and go into detail, and we can't. We just not the time. Did you seek it out or did it just happen? You know, they feel like how does mentorship even happen? I mean, it, it, you can go ask for it, right? Yeah, I think
1: mentorship is necessary. I think if you can't get, and this is a nugget here, I think when people are looking for that experience, if if you can't get the experience yourself, mentorship provides you an avenue to that experience vicariously through somebody else's experience. To answer your question, I didn't seek it out as much as it fell into my lap constantly. I think making choices in your career path that puts you That puts mentorship in your path is part part of it. So on one hand, nowadays, um, it's easy to seek out mentorship. It wasn't so much back then. Don't be afraid to seek out mentorship. There are a lot of people in this world that are willing to give it and happy to give it and want to give it. Um, So definitely seek it out. But there are ways in your career path to where that you put, you want to put yourself in a career path. You want to associate yourself with people to where mentorships naturally happen. And what I mean by that is, join groups and clubs, DefCon, you know, DC seven one three, give a shout out there. But associate yourself with people that have the same interests in your career field, security, um, and mentorships are, are going to happen just like they did with me. When you when you associate with people of that common interest, it's just going to happen. People are going to want to help you. They're going to want to uh, teach you. And and I think one thing we didn't mention earlier that I think is is part of it is that something that is going to help you in your career and guarantee your success. And yes, I will say that it will guarantee your success is that if you're passionate about cybersecurity, you will be successful. Um, you, you will make this your career because it's, there's, there's such a need and I think you have to have a passion for it.
0: Um, that passion will drive your path. Great advice. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask you kind of, you said it, You'd be surprised how I many people are willing. Many, if not most, are willing to be helpful and to give mentorship, formal and informal. Certainly, lots of people will give informal, like yeah, what are you, what are you interested in? And some people will be even be willing to be formal about it, like yeah, I'll meet with you again, and or at Starbucks or on the, you know, on the phone or whatever. You end up doing a career path with a variety of companies, You know, semantics in there, back to uh, something looks like local in in, in Texas, uh, and then a network company, and then. Uh, something called the Critical Infrastructure Institute, and then Lockheed Martin. So here's another, you know, so lesser known names and then major names. You're getting all these different experiences. I see critical infrastructure uh, coming in 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 the uh, the 2008 time frame. Lockheed Martin, uh, again, uh, or it looks like a a Lockheed Martin company. Um, Cymation, I mean, who's Allen Hamilton? it, It just, it's a recognizable list, and you're spending some time in each of these, gaining more experience maybe you could comment on the series because we can't go into each one but also where so cybersecurity is happening but now somewhere in here comes operating technology or industrial control systems I don't know what it was first for you I'm curious what that when does that intersect because that is a it's a different area you and I know well the whole reason our trade association exists is that the nuances of cybersecurity when it pertains to a control-related system is different than a traditional IT system. When does that intersect with you, and what do you want to say about that? Those that kind of those mid years of your of your journey. At some point in my
1: career, um, and, and, and another thing when I was at Synchronet, that's that's where I got the bug for entrepreneurialism as well. Uh, he kind of gave me a little piece of the business to run, um, and I and I left Synchronet at some point to go kind of do my own thing, and I had a, a short stint into. Yeah, so when, when I left Synchronet, I did my own thing for a little bit. And then I applied for a contract job at Symantec. And again, it was one of those things to where I had more book knowledge, but not as much experience. Because the job was for an SQA engineer, software quality assurance, which was at that time, it sounds more boring than it, what it was. It was actually kind of cool. It was testing the intrusion detection systems um, that Symantec was developing at the time. Literally get to hack these things, you know, and also, yeah. but write a lot of Perl scripts to automate that testing and everything. And I'd never written a Perl script in my life at that point. Sorry, uh, Chad. If Chad sees this, he's going to kill me. But uh, you know, but 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 I but I knew the knowledge. I, I studied and I studied and I studied, and I'd written other programming languages, so I I I, I knew Perl. You know, interview with with Chad, and Chad was also I, I think he was from the Air Force as well because he recognized the CSSO on my resume. And you know, and I don't know if it was uh, the Air Force Brotherhood type thing that that spawned him to give me a chance, or again just saw passion and, and aptitude. But he hired me, and that's another another key point in my life to where I probably shouldn't have got the job, but I did because someone saw passion and aptitude and was willing to give me a chance. And his name was Chad. His name still is Chad Skipper. You know, and that's a that's a day I'll never forget when he gave me a chance. And then um and then at He's acknowledged in my book, too, by the way, as one of the people who gave me a chance again at Symantec, the amount of people willing to mentor me. Um, I mean, he paired me up with a uh, a guy from South America um, who who knew programming, pro programming really well and paired me up with them to get me up to speed. Um, yeah. And I was surrounded by some really good programmers and developers. And then, then I had the opportunity. Um, to cross train and actually write intrusion detection system code with some of the developers, um, and that was the that was the point of my life when I when I went from I know some security, I'm in the small time to working with a real cybersecurity company and seeing it being developed, and that's that's when I became also a a network programming geek or like that's why I found my passion for network protocols yeah. and learning how to decipher these things and I was like wow this is really cool but again so many people willing to mentor you and and, and it was just such a fun experience
0: another nugget so if, if some of our listeners are uh you know there are other leaders in industry um that are just curious I already know this so we're like oh I want to you know I want to hear from some of the other folks it's not just you know we're not talking to one audience here but the nugget there is match people up you got a new or an entry level person or a lower, uh, a, a lesser qualified person, get them matched up, make a make a match happen with a peer or with a mentor. It's powerful and and, it, and it's, and it's good for both parties. A lot of people don't buy that, but I think it's true it's mentors often career mentors say, oh yeah, I get a lot too from being a mentor, but clearly the mentee gets brought up by that process. So be purposeful about that, right? Make that part of your design as a manager.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was genius on Chad's part. Uh, he, you know, he saw enough in me to where he knew that if he paired me up with the right, um, the right staff that he can get me up to speed really fast. That contract ended. Um, they ended up shutting down the San Antonio office um, and went with another product that they were developing uh, in parallel. Then um, here's the nugget here. here here's where it had happened. I interviewed with the company and in. And, and, yeah um that's I'm trying to remember my own timeline i interviewed with a company called diverse networks and i'm i remember the interview like it was yesterday uh it was john gorman uh nico and i still can't pronounce his last name nico samantoya i i can't and it's a greek name i think i can't pronounce but um you know and i'm, I'm sorry nico but i was in that interview and they, they they told me they said well you know we want you to help us secure this this thing called a SCADA network uh, no, never heard of it. You know, I'm like, well, and he's like, it stands for supervisor control and data acquisition. It's okay if you'd never heard of it. Uh, not many people know anything about securing them. Uh, we just need somebody who knows some cybersecurity. And um I ended up getting the job. For one, he told me I got the job because of one thing. I mean, a lot of people were qualified that went to the interview and everything like that. And he said, he asked me one question. And if they watch this, they're going to laugh. They said, Do you sleep well at night? And I said, Yeah, yeah, whenever I sleep, what is sleep? And and they they meant basically you know being concerned about security and things like that and they said that answer got me the job, um, but they put me on a contract. And I'm not going to name the it's a big oil and gas company. I'm not going to name the name here, but um, it was to secure their SCADA system. It was a, um, a RTAP SCADA system, and it was and that was it. I mean that's when I learned for the first time about industrial networks and that's before that's when everything was SCADA back then. that was an actual SCADA system but that's before anybody knew anything about oh there was no there was no ot there was no ics you know it was the real systems and and, and by their name and um and that was it that that that's when i learned about industrial systems and, and that's when i understood how important this was and and, and i never looked back since
0: yeah, it, 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 I don't really know this about you. Does it? Do you stay purely in, in in just in that realm from then on, or do you still did you still do traditional cyber things as well, or is that the that's the fork in the road? Boom.
1: Yeah, no, I mean at that point, I mean I've all I mean so what a lot of people I think that uh, and if you don't understand this, you should understand this is that whether you're talking what whatever, whatever acronym you're using for industrial security, whether it's OT, operational technology, yeah. I C. Social control systems. I was whatever
0: this debate this week, there is no unified term.
1: Yeah, yeah. So whatever acronym you're using, it there's for everything, there is a baseline, you have to have a baseline of traditional enterprise IT security, InfoSec, Cybersecurity, System Security, whatever you want to call it. You have to have that first because while there are special caveats, OT security, ICS security is not separate from it security it's in addition to so that so i stayed so I, I i stayed with that my it security skills and kept that and kept my skills up to date but from then on out i never looked back like you said it, it i stayed in that realm even though i i kept my it security skills up to date um and i'm not going to touch on each little thing that happened along the way but i would say you know probably. One of the biggest things that happened in my industrial security career, uh, there's two, there was two significant things in my life um, that that put me to where I am today, and in, in terms of being considered an industry expert and just um, getting opportunities. Number one, the the opportunities at diverse networks um, they ended. There was a, and I wasn't fired or anything like that, but the the, you know, the company went a different direction. Let's say that at that point. I said, well, I want, I want to stay in this. What do I do? I went and marketed myself to my nearest competitor. That was Jonathan Polay and, and Jonathan. everybody knows Jonathan. And so at that time, and I, and, and I was really interested in teaching this stuff. And and so I'd gotten into like uh, doing some training and, and and building some classes I knew, and, and Jonathan never heard of me. He didn't know who I was, but I knew that that was probably my best, path to stay in this was to find a way to partner with Jonathan and, 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 and everything. And so, I mean, long story short, um, uh, I introduced myself to him and uh, yet again, he was willing to take me and he was willing to give me an opportunity. And then, um, and we, and that's what we kind of founded this, this, this training Institute, which didn't really work at the time. We were kind of ahead of our time and it didn't work, but we, was, that's what the, the CIA, the critical infrastructure Institute was. We kind of, we yeah. went down the training path. Well, it, well, interestingly enough, and I'm not going to make this claim for him, but as you know um jonathan you know created ended up creating red tiger security which um which is a big tra- cybersecurity training and you know in a in a in a way i think that's what kind of started that for him was when we started our, the training institute back in 2004 there's two points there number one you never know what you do now is going to make something for you make something big for you later and number two being part of the community, right, and being involved in the community, I wouldn't have known where to go next had I not known my market, not no, not understanding who Jonathan was and where to go. And he was a big public figure in SCADA security back then and um, wasn't afraid to reach out to him and say, basically, can I have a job? You know, and that's when it was plant data. And then plant data was acquired by Verano, which became industrial defender, uh, which was acquired by Lockheed Martin. So that's kind of how that that stepping stone of things happened. But that was so so that was the big that was the thing right there. That was the number one thing that I talked about, which was um, you know, reach, being part of the community and reaching. And, and we were going to conferences, ICSJWG, JWG, bef, before it was ICSJWG, it so was like um, PCSF was what it was. Um, so uh, we were going to conferences, being part of the community and getting to know people. This is a very small community. So being part of it is very important. The other big thing that happened was I started writing papers. And then the I started writing the book that was to become the book, the book that you held up. You're segueing to 2000- the
0: next topic. Perfect.
1: Well, this was in 2007, way before this book came out, but i had started laying the groundwork and I uh, gotten in trouble over it. This is before Stuxnet. And we, that, that should be a time, uh, that's an acronym, uh, that's a piece on a timeline, BS, before Stuxnet. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the. It's um,
0: funny on mobile
1: Yeah, I, 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 I had advertised that I was writing a book called Hacking SCADA in 2007 and it made a lot of press and so much press where people told me I shouldn't write it, but it got me a lot of exposure. And then I said, well, I'm going to start writing more papers. And this is a two part two, a number two. And I said, these big thing, but writing papers and sharing my knowledge with the community and getting it out there, it did two things for me. Number one, it let people know who I was. And number two, I was sharing, giving back to the community. That's really big in cybersecurity um in the hacker communities, just giving back, giving back to the community. Yeah. Um, it, it helps ensure um, sustainability of the of the craft, you know, and, so, and of the the skill set. So
0: and it builds a lot of goodwill and, and and it and it brings your name up. I mean it has a lot of positive attributes. So that's I think another one of the nugget walk away nuggets, uh, which is is um, yeah being in getting involved in the community it could be writing, could be speaking, could be on a on a um a committee Any of those things, you know, they do further the craft. There's no doubt. And so that's good for our society, but they also, they're, they may look like you're giving to something else, but they end up being very, very good for you. And that's, that's also something that maybe people don't always, uh, you know, recognize that that's the way it works. The fabric of our society is kind of based on things like that. Yeah. And I think it's, you
1: know, of course I can say this because I've done this and, and, uh, and it sounds self-serving, but you know, not everything is self-serving, right. It's, it's okay to do things, um, Within uh, a certain amount, within reason, it's okay to self-promote and it's okay to get your name out there. But also give back. You know, don't just be completely self-serving. You know, it's okay. You know, it's it's okay to to put yourself out there um, and to make a name for yourself, but make sure you give back. Make sure that you reciprocate um, all the good fortune that's come to you.
0: Yeah, you you make a good point. I'm 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 a big believer in some some stuff that you know necessarily modern science doesn't study, but people write books about. You, when you put yourself out there, some things do come back to you, but it's not direct. It's not, oh, I should promote this thing. I want to sell. No, don't do that. But there's some things where you give and you give. And wow, this lucky thing happened this year to me. How'd that happen? Well, you kept putting yourself out in the path to run into that sort of thing by giving to other people and doing things. I, I believe that works. I believe that's just how how our, you know, how how it works for human beings. But uh, but you're right. You don't want to do the I'm gonna join this because I'm gonna get a tit for a tat. Yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that's it.
1: Right. I mean, if if you're naturally going to make a name for yourself, if you're that person that is also giving to the community, giving back and sharing, it just happens. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So this is a good, good segue. I'm glad you brought it up. Let's talk about your book, Hacking Exposed for Industrial Control Systems. Um, I'm a proud owner of it in my signed book collection, which is uh, something very that I prize. I think I've got three or four. You've got a group authorship here and I've got a three or four of you in here. Um, so a lot of people have a book in their head or they think they do. And I do. I've got a couple unpublished books uh, in various stages and I've discovered it's 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 not trivial. Uh, now, some people maybe are just prone to being able to turn out books, but for most people, it's a lot of work. And um, so talk a little bit about what led to this and what producing this book has meant to you and meant to your your career path. Yeah, it is. it was
1: a lot of work. Um, so, um, you know, and this, this is the kind of the follow on. To what i was talking about earlier about writing um and sharing that knowledge and 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 how it comes back around so i had already laid the groundwork for this like i said back in 2007 writing the book that never got written um but i always kept up with that and i always kept no i kept my own this is this is a good nugget here is i kept my own handbook if you will I always wrote my own notes. I always kept anything I ever had. I, I kept a running notebook uh, um, in a folder of uh, basically my own manuscript of uh, of my own field manual of these are these things. And, and this is the command line for this and all that. And I always kept those running and kept notes. And so I had this literally I had this like 300 page manuscript of notes and things i've collected over the years and things so i couldn't publish it because it was i mean it would have been plagiarism i literally copied and pasted it photo- <laughs> but it was my yeah. own personal field manual right it's okay to do that um if it's for your own personal use and yeah. of, of keeping yeah. people's notes and things like that and um and so um this was um you know and then by the way i also want to mention that you know i i have a lot of jobs on resume like you mentioned earlier and it, it kind of like wow this guy's a job hopper but you know Throughout your career, especially in this field, technology and cybersecurity, you may go through several, you know, and I don't know how it is across the world. I know like in Germany, it's different, but in America, at least, you'll go through a year here, a year and a half here, two years here, a lot of times in your career because companies close, things happen, uh, contracts end. And so, you know, don't be afraid to... Take that path wherever that path takes you. Don't be, you know, if, if you're unhappy. Dale Peterson said this a lot. It's like you, there's no way, there's no reason you should be unhappy in your job right now with the market the way it is. Don't be afraid to move from one company to another one um, if you need to, uh, if that's where your path takes you. But going back to what I was saying, I was on a job interview, and it turned out that that job interview happened to be with Joel Scambray. Joel Scambray was one of the. First three original authors of the the of Hacking Exposed. I didn't realize it, you know. So I like felt it was like the, it was a Godfather moment, you know. You did, I didn't know who I was with. Um, and so it's um, you know, and I remember you know picking up my first copy of Hacking Exposed, the original Hacking Exposed was really it, it was at that time it really was an expose. It was the first book publication publicly released that 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 actually detailed how to hack systems. Right. And, um, and so it was a real moment for me to get to, you know, interview with this guy. And I, I the job was different than what my skill set was. Uh, and I didn't get the job, but he said, you know, I noticed that you have on your resume that, um, you know, you you have this manuscript and this thing that you're writing and, and, you know, about industrial control systems. And he goes, you know, I, I think maybe the time is right for an expose on industrial control systems, security, and hacking. Would you be interested if I put you in contact with McGraw-Hill about maybe doing a hacking exposed ICS? I mean, and of course I said, no, I'm not interested at all. Just kidding. No, I mean, of course I was, right? I mean, what do you say to that? Um, yeah, and, you, and you could get it done next Saturday, right? I
0: mean, without.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and so so that was, I was pretty ecstatic, you know, just about that opportunity, sure. right? And uh, and, but there's a a nugget there, and that is don't be afraid to put side projects of personal interest that you think have value to your career on your resume. Had I there was no I I didn't do anything official with that. It was nothing more than I had a side project of writing this manual of control systems and I put it on my resume. That is the number one reason. Why I got the book opportunity because I had something on my resume that I was doing on the side and it got
0: noticed by the right person. Oh, Clint, that is another nugget. That's an interesting one that I've never heard anyone bring up, but it it makes total sense to me. I think I do some of that anyway or have over my career, but never really thought about, you know, being purposeful about like, oh, I've got these side things. I've always had side things, but you're saying connect the two. Make sure there's a way that somebody knows that you do that. Your personal blog might be another place where you you talk about some of those things and so the world knows or employers or other project collaborators, you know, know. But however you you end up sharing formally and informally that you have one or more of these side projects, they can be very impactful. In this case, you had it listed and it caused a door to open that you're saying would never have opened. The, this this book wouldn't have existed had you not done that.
1: Exactly. That um, is you know,
0: it, that's a great share.
1: Yeah, you know, just it well it demonstrates your passion. It demonstrates your the the work that you do on the side. And it lets people know what you're doing when it otherwise would not have been exposed. (laughs) See what I did there? Um, I see what you did there. Yeah, and so going back to the level of effort, right? Writing a book is a huge undertaking, right? And in here, I mean, look, if you already write a lot of white papers and they're your and they're your original creation, think about amalgamating those white papers into a book. You know, and that's one way to do it. Um, But you know, in writing, hacking exposed, ICS. I knew that I couldn't get it done in the time that I that I that I was given. Well, Joel introduced me to McGraw Hill, and he introduced me to to my editor and Wendy, and, and she and, and she brought it to the board, the editorial board, and it was a no brainer. They're like, "Yep, go for it." I was like, "Okay, great." Now I either got to get this done in the time frame allotted, or um, I need to put together a team to help me. And so, you know, I I really felt like that I wanted this to be a voice from the community in instead of just me talking about it. And, you know, I'd, I'd already been friends with Brian, uh, Brian Singer. Uh, yep. I met Stephen Hilt, um, at one of the early S4s. Um, and Brian
0: just did the show, by the way, the same show you're on today, he just did it a couple of weeks ago. So he'll be nice. Here.
1: Nice. Yeah. So, you know, so I, you know, I knew Brian and he agreed to help me. Um, and you know, Stephen Hilt had already, uh, I met him at S4. He introduced me to Kyle, uh, Will Hoyt, um, who he, he was already working with. And then um, Aaron Shabib, um, who is one of the other authors that probably a lot of people don't know about. Um, he, he's, he'd he worked with me throughout my career since 2007 or so, um, behind, but kind of behind the scenes. By the way, he's one of the founders of ThreatGen now. Um, and he's uh, one of the developers of the Red versus Blue thing that people may know about. So anyway, oh, uh, yeah. it's funny how you bring people, this is a community, you stay together and you bring people together. But um, so... You well, know another thing about writing a book is that w- if you self-publish or if you go through a smaller publisher, um, you have more leeway. McGraw Hill, they they run a tight ship and they keep you on schedule. And I mean, we slipped a couple times on that release date, and so it's okay to do that. Just keep in mind if you're ever writing a book, um, things happen. You're going to slip, but the but you want you want to stay on a schedule. You want to say oh, I want to write at least this one. You, you know, if, if you get it done, You say I want to write a page a day. I want to average a page a day, which a lot of people can usually, uh, you know, double spaced, twelve point uh, Times New Roman font. It's easy to do, and so we stayed on schedule. We slipped a couple times, and and we got it done. Um, I will say that the more people that you have, it's the harder it is to write a book. And so I would say, if uh, not trying to diminish the team that we had, but it's it's if you're going to write a book, do as much as you can on your own, and then get contributors and listeners contributors. Having a team. It was it was really hard, um, yeah, to coordinate and stay on schedule because everybody, and, it, and it's not anybody's fault. It's a dynamic scheduling issue. Um, everybody has a different life, right, and different yeah. schedules. So the more you of that you take out of the equation, the better. And then of course the other thing, when it comes to just doing it yourself uh, or, or the, the amount of people involved.
0: Okay, so um, we've gone through your story arc of, of various different companies some well-known some not well-known gathering all these different experiences you're writing so that's another theme that you know that comes up so people should write they should get the you know that that experience going um, and then you write a book so that's an, a major another additional experience that we talked about and then you you found a company and so I at least want to touch on that and uh, we could talk an hour on that I mean I'm an entrepreneur I've spent 23 years doing it I'd love to just ask you a zillion questions about just about ThreatGen, gen uh, but you you found a company so let's talk a little bit about how that happens and you're that's what you're doing now and you're doing some really interesting stuff i'd founded a company or more than once in 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 my
1: life right and i mean um any time that you know i was there's been lots of times i'd left the company and then specifically went on my own right and i would say you know if you already have um that if you already have that spirit that um that basically kind of says i you know I want to do this on my own. I want to do my own thing. You know, don't just start your own business. Don't just be an independent consultant. Just turn it into a company, right? I mean, it, 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 there's so much, it's so much—it's so much better. Don't ever go just be an indi, individual independent consultant. At least start a company and and put the company down and and and, and like
0: get that LLC, whatever, and and start something. Um, I love that. You're gonna, if you're gonna go independent, form a company, put that in your resume. Getting an LLC started is very simple. It's not expensive. That's another thing I never heard quite put that way. I always formed them because I felt like I had to, whatever structural reason. But you're saying, if you're gonna be independent, do it under an LLC and name it and make it a part of your story. Yeah, I mean, there is the
1: number one. There's the the legal protections, which um, there's which there's there's some, but not as many as you would think. Uh, but number two, yeah, it, it's it looks better on your resume to say, you know, I founded this company rather than I'm an independent consultant Brilliant. Brilliant. along the way. But, you know, and and I, and I did that, I, I, I kind of kept that company on ice and, 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 you know, some of you may have heard of it, it was CIDG critical infrastructure defense group way back in the day. And I kept that. And, and I mean, that company was eventually quote unquote acquired by another company, but it was just me and one other person. And so it really wasn't a real acquisition, but here's something that I learned along the way. Number one is that there's a difference between I own my own business I have a company and I have a startup, right? There's three distinct differences. You go and get business cards. That's I own my own business, right? I mean, it could be anywhere from car washing to independent consulting. Once you, once you have um, an LLC, now I own my own. uh, Now instead of I have my own company, it's I have a business. And when you have an employer or two, now you have a small business when you get funding, now you're a startup and those are the differences and, and there and there are different uh, requirements along the way. You know, what the, the, the more you grow, and when you go from I have my own business and you get to the point where you're a startup where I am now, there are requirements along the way that you have to have. And this is what I learned is that owning your own business is easy. Having a small business is a little harder. But once if, if you ever want to grow a business, you want to grow the business with an exit strategy or just Make six figures the rest of your life, whatever. There are things you have to understand. And that's number one, the power of delegation. You can't do it all. Everybody says, oh, well, I have a small business. I, run, I wear multiple hats. Like That's not a good thing, okay? like Everybody says, well, I wear multiple hats, but that is not a good thing. You don't want to wear that many multiple hats. Number one, it'll drive you, and in and, and my case, my wife, crazy. You you need to learn to delegate, and for a lot of us, that's hard to do. It's hard to get. It's our baby, right? It's hard to give that up. So you need to learn to um, to delegate and 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 let people take the reins in those areas where you know you don't need to be doing that. Even if you think you're good at it, in most cases, you're not as good as you think you are. Let somebody else that's better than you do that. And that's what I had to learn. And so uh, to to basically, yes, when I the um, last company I left um, some time ago. I've always had that entrepreneur spirit and that's where we, we founded ThreatGen and that it's actually the company was originally founded uh D-Rezed Inc. We're Tron fans. Um, but we, we, it, it wasn't quite working the name. Nobody understood the name. It wasn't resonating. And we, yeah, so, so anyway, we, our, our product name was ThreatGen. It's a whole nother uh, topic on why it's ThreatGen. But anyway, the product was ThreatGen. So I took a page out of Verano and Industrial Defenders book and just named our company, DBA'd our company to our product name. And so, we We figured, okay, so the the whole premise of the company is to do industrial security services and training, because that's what I've done my entire life, right? My entire most of my entire career. But I learned really fast that if you know, okay, I, I learned along the way that if I want to have a real company and, and grow it to a startup and beyond, it's it's a lot more than what I've been doing in the past. Like I, I had to find somebody who knew business better than me. I had to find, I had to find advisors who knew how to grow a company from an angel to start to angel to exit. Right. I, I'd had learned the importance of operations. There's so many pieces of a company that you have to have functioning properly that you you, like, it's not, it's, it's not just, Oh, I own a company. No, you have to have operations support. You have to have financial support in terms of somebody running your finances. You, you have to have all the different pieces of management that you don't think about all this overhead that keeps the rest of it running. It's not just a bunch of consultants saying, oh, we're a group of consultants under an LLC. So we have a company. You don't have a company until you have your books in order until you have operations director or manager until you have a, you know, somebody who handles your finances. And until if you don't have a company or a startup, unless somebody can go into your books and say, okay, wow, you know, you've got these cash flow statements, you have this and you have this and, 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 and and you, and everything's in order, you know, and, yeah. So my advice to anybody is, running a company is more than just you. It, it, and if you want to have a serious company, you need to, you know, understand you got to delegate, and you have to have all that operational support and overhead, and and all of that. And it, it's different than just having my own business. And the final thing I'll say is, um, and maybe this is a good closeout, but I probably wouldn't have had the success that I have with my company uh, that I have so far. Or the op- I wouldn't have gotten a lot of the opportunities that I had throughout my life had I not been part of the community, and I had I not uh, and, and been an active engaged part of the community, and had I not written that book, whether it's self-serving or not, uh, for better or for worse, that book put 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 my name out there. Um, sure. It was a little bit of a resume, a little bit of credibility, and all the people that supported to write that book as well. Uh, I mean, the little piece of them helped me along the way, and so I recommend ever the two biggest things I could recommend is. Become part of the community because that's where you find mentors and job opportunities and everything. So become an active part of the community. Write a book, if you can, just write a book and share it with the community. Because you don't, you don't write a book. I promise you this: you don't write a book to get rich. You ain't. I, I make hardly any money on that book. You're not going to get rich. Um, but it's sharing with the community in a way that is also going to have returns and giving a name. to You know, Absolutely. you're going to have your name out there. And, and so, you but, another-
0: the book is daunting then write a really, really good paper. And if you write a really, really good second paper and you write a really, really good third paper, you may be on your way actually to the future book. (laughs) That's exactly right. And a lot of people,
1: you know, and and then I guess you could also, you know, here's another thing you can do. Let's say you don't like to write, but you like to make YouTube videos, you know, or you like to make uh, videos on what you do in demonstration. Make a series of those and then you can have that transcribed.
0: All right. Well, uh, what excites you most Our kind of closing question, uh, about the future. What are you looking ahead? And then you, maybe you can tuck in if someone was starting out, you know, what area might they look as a really exciting area to get into but let's close out on that.
1: Well, I, you know, I think that in general, uh, you know, a decade or two ago, nobody knew what industrial security was, ICS, SCADA, any of that. Um, but I, you know, I think it's becoming, it's out in the forefront. And I, and I, while I think all cybersecurity is important. Um, I think industrial cybersecurity has a little bit of um, uh, a, a little bit of special lanyard, uh to pull from my Louisiana roots uh, in that it's a little more. It's dealing with law. It's dealing with our way of life, um, you know, in human lives. and 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 so I'm really excited about the fact that industrial security has come to the forefront and it's out there now and there's college programs with it. Um, but and uh, and but we have such a skills gap. There's such an opportunity. I think there's an opportunity for a lot of people out there to cross train, or who were not in the career, or, or, or in high school or college. This is a wonderful career opportunity for them because it's so important to our way of life. It's so important to the world. You know, unfortunately, because there's bad people out there that want to do bad things. But I mean, it's so important it's a new area and it's so high and it's and it, i think that there's there's so much opportunity just in industrial cybersecurity that like there's so much skills gap so much opportunity just go for it one last sentence that i didn't say so earlier when i said that there were a couple things in my career that i said would come back to me that was uh, art, You know, another thing that we didn't mention was that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a musician. i played piano, played guitar, all this stuff like that. So there's all these things earlier in my life, like uh, being a musician, uh, being an artist that I kind of put aside and gave up on. Uh, or whenever I walked into that KB toy store, looking at that uh, C++ game design book. And I said, you know what? That's kind of hard. I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, now what I do here at ThreatGen, um, you know, we, we have the red versus blue cybersecurity training game. So we've literally taken video games and turned them into a training medium, gamification. In doing that, I use absolutely everything that I've done in life that I was somewhat good at or had interest in and put aside. Developing games, um, I write game code, which I put aside at one point in my life. I do all the art and UI and I do all the the graphic design and graphic development uh, for both my company as well as for my game. When I put aside art earlier in my career, um, I do, I, I, I designed the music for the game and everything. So um, everything in my life that I had an interest in or gave up on or put aside that I may have been somewhat good at, had an aptitude for, or very good at, I now use in every ounce of what I'm doing now. So no matter what it is in life, don't think that you're going to give up on it forever. If you have to put it aside, don't, don't think that you're never going to do it again. Um, just remember every experience you have in life. Every opportunity
0: in life is an opportunity that you're going to use somewhere. So, Well, that's got to be the definition of, of being in a happy place. You know, the fusion of all the things you have passionate about have all, all come together in one project that you, uh, that you, have, that you own. You have ownership, and so it's not someone else's, and you're building it, and you're creating it, and it pulls on all those pieces, a fusion of, of you, right, in one thing. Yeah, I every day
1: I wake up every day of my life excited to get into my studio, my office, whatever, um, and work.
0: Well, so. I don't think it gets any better than that, you know, as far as a definition of of uh, of satisfaction in life than than what you just said. So congratulations uh, to you on on that's where you being being there at this stage of your career in life. That's pretty awesome.
1: Well, thanks. Like I said, I just wanted to pass that message along that you know it's like look to anybody who listens to this. It's like you know. Don't worry, you know if if you if if you have passion for something, um, all those things that you like, they can come back around and you can find ways to utilize them.
0: absolutely. absolutely. All right. well, thank you for awesome shares, some great nuggets, uh, walkaway value there. you 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 nailed it all. you covered all those things. Okay, we're now at my favorite part of the show where I get to uh, kind of uh, pay my respects to a show I've always enjoyed inside the actor studio. And If you' ever watched it, it's been uh, on the air for decades. It had a longtime host who recently passed uh, James Lifton and he interviewed all the greatest uh, many of the greatest actors and actresses that uh, that we all know on the stage at the, uh, at the acting school in New York. and he always ended his interviews with the same questionnaire. and so we're we're having some fun and doing the same same thing. It's called the Pavot Questionnaire and he even borrowed it from a French show years before that. so it's got some heritage of being uh, being borrowed. Are you ready, Clint? Let's do it. Okay, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. Yep. You know,
1: I'm already starting to think we shouldn't do this because this is the kind of questions you get in those uh, things on Facebook, so where somebody can hack your kind of like, oh, what's your, you know, what's your address? So, oh, what's your favorite pet? What's your no, no pet names, no pet names. <laughs> All right. Uh, my favorite word. I think my favorite word is obfuscate. Ooh, nice word. Uh, what is your least favorite word? No.
0: What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: games fantasy imagination
0: what turns you off politics uh what is your favorite curse word or abbreviation fuck i don't know (laughs) (laughs) what sound or noise do you love
1: my kids laughing
0: what sound or noise
1: do you hate my kids crying what profession other than your own would you like to attend? Uh, it's a trick question because I'm technically not a video game developer in the video game industry, but I do it for what we do. I would say so. Let, let's just say cybersecurity and video games uh, development is off the table. Man, I, that's something I've never thought of before. Uh, what career other than my own would I like to attempt? At? Probably either uh, acting or theater special effects, which was one of my original yeah. Um, yeah. thoughts in, a, in in my career. But yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. What profession would you not like to not do? Politics. Politics. I share that with you, by the way. So, in the end, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: I think that's an easy one. You know, um, I'm proud of you. You've 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 lived the best life that you could have lived.
0: All right. Thank you, Clint Poe Dungeon, founder and CEO of Threat Gen, man of many talents, author of Hacking Exposed for Industrial Control Systems, a book I love. I definitely recommend it if you don't have a copy of it. Uh, researcher, speaker. Uh, Instructor, uh, you know, author, martial artist, game designer—you do it all. Thank you for being on the show, Clint. Thank you.